Welcome to the Modern Girl Podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin Parsons, certified holistic health coach, intuitive eating specialist, and health at every size advocate. Cozy up with me each week for empowering conversations with multi-passionate women as we share real stories around our relationships with food, body, and managing life in the modern world. So excited to share this episode with you. I'm so excited to be here with you today. And I just hope that you're doing well. Um, I know it's been a rough couple of weeks for a lot of us. You know, at the time of this recording, I feel like I always say that. At the time of this recording. At the time of this recording, we're still in quarantine for the foreseeable future. And it is bringing up a lot of emotions. Um a lot of self-reflection and a lot of uh, different uncomfortable feelings, whether it's not being able to travel and see friends and family or go explore or feeling bored or feeling stressed out because you're not sure when this is over, um, job security, all of these things. But that being said, I want to encourage you. I know this is an unpopular opinion, but I really want to encourage you to lean into the good of all of this, especially at a time that is so devastating for so many. There is so much power in going through something like this. There's so much opportunity to learn about yourself. Um, There is so much possibility in connecting with people who you might not normally connect with every day virtually and really just giving yourself some time to process the emotions and take some time for yourself to just lean into taking everything slow. That's something that I've been enjoying a lot lately. Um, Really just going back to the basics and the simplicity and my husband is home during the day and I work from home normally, but it's so nice just having him here, we're, we're in a workflow fly, finally where we're not stepping on each other all the time and we take a lunch break together and sit outside on our stairs and sit in the sun and get to talk and catch up with each other and sometimes we have a cocktail on Wednesdays and that's fun too and just um, really using this as an opportunity to celebrate slowing down. And so I just want to encourage you to do that. I also want to let you know that in the show notes, you will find my food freedom guide, which is a great complement to everything that's going on right now. I made this for you with so much love. There are three really powerful exercises in this guide to specifically help you pay attention to your body cues. Um, begin repairing your hunger and fullness cues. I teach you how to create a modern mindful meal so that you can begin to prioritize non-distracted eating and let go of mindless eating and feel like you have a place to begin with that. I have a hunger fullness scale in there as well as some self-care guidelines for eating and really gentle nutrition um, tips that I love teaching. And I'm really excited for you to get your hands on this because this is a great time to just begin implementing, especially during a, um, a time where we are 
seeing so much emotional eating and stress eating and anxious eating and bored eating and all of the things. And that is so not to shame any of that, if that is what you're experiencing, if that's how you're coping. However, I made this because I want you to feel like there is another option and there is another way um, to cope with those emotions beyond food. So grab that in the show note links and I hope you enjoy. Please let me know if you do. Just say hi on Instagram. And if you need a little extra support, I'm also taking on two private clients right now as well. Um, You can book your food freedom breakthrough call if you feel like you want to use this opportunity to finally begin to repair and heal your relationship with food, or if you're just not sure that you have anything that needs to be repaired and you need to explore that, that's what the call is for. It's 30 30 minutes. You and I get super crystal clear on exactly what the roadblock is in terms of your relationship with food and how to move forward. I give two really specific action items for you as well as the next step and whether or not we would be a good fit in working together. Um, And if we're not, additional resources so that you feel like you are totally supported in taking that step. So you can also find the link to schedule that in the show notes. Um, And you can always reach out to me as well too if you are unsure if that's something that you need right now. But I highly encourage you if if you're struggling with food and you want to use this time to really begin to address some of these issues that are challenging on the days where you're in the hustle and bustle, it is a really good opportunity. So let's get into this episode today. I want to tell you about Tyler because she is amazing. She's an angel. And she and I actually just connected earlier this year. And as soon as I was put in contact with her through another another friend, um, I knew we were going to be close friends. And I said, come on my podcast and we'll get to know each other there. So this is a really raw, authentic, vulnerable conversation. And she and I really talk about a lot of um, personal stories as well as just our opinions about things going on in the wellness and health world and how we're moving forward as as women in our own careers and our personal lives and all these things. So Tyler Rowling is a registered dietitian and she's also a certified intuitive eating counselor. She helps women live a vibrant life by helping them build healthy eating habits and positive body image using intuitive eating principles and energy healing. So like I said before, we talk about a lot. We talk about the transition of evolving into a more womanly body. We talk about thin privilege and what that means and how to move through this culture if you have thin privilege. Um, The presence of eating disorders in nutrition school, which is a really fascinating topic that I don't think is being talked about nearly enough finding her identity while transitioning out of an athletic past, past, the power of support systems through therapists, coaches, and dietitians through the healing process, and also Tyler's journey of healing trauma and deep emotional wounds through soul work, energy healing, intuitive eating. We really, really cover a lot in this episode. So I hope you enjoy. I hope you feel supported. I hope you feel connected to us. And again, that you just continue to get that reminder that you're not alone. These food and body issues, these struggles that 
can often feel so lonely and so isolating are more common than you think, and there is an answer in healing. So I hope you enjoy. Here is our episode with Tyler. Okay, so I'm so excited to dive in. Can you start by telling us your first body awareness moment? So just to preface, that moment where you first realized I'm in a body and that kind of means something in the culture and the society that I live in today, good, bad, or indifferent? Yeah, so it was when I graduated high school and I was going into college, uh, my body really had some drastic changes. Uh, Like, you know how they say the freshman 15 Mm. or whatever? For me, it was like the freshman 40. (laughs) Um, And it was very drastic. And it was healthy, you know, weight gain because I was very, a lot of people thought I had an eating disorder in high school because I was that thin, but really it was just because I was so active. I was a synchronized swimmer. Um, But it wasn't until I got into college and then put on all that weight, I was like, whoa. Like, what's happening? All of a sudden, my clothes aren't fitting the same. I have to get new clothes. And I'm getting looked at differently. Like, And honestly, it was like my body was really becoming womanly. <laughs> and I was used to having this kind of adolescent, like, frail, no curves whatsoever, and then I'm like, wait a minute, what is this? I got like a butt now? <laughs> um, so I, that was definitely when I, my first body awareness moment. How did you react to that? Because I, I don't think that this is an uncommon story. And I, I think that we all as women experience that at different parts in our life. Um, I'm yes. curious though, because this is a, a little bit later in life than a lot of women's stories. And so how, how was that to have a a little more self-awareness than when most people start to see this big shift around middle school, you know, being 18, 19 and starting to see like, Oh wow. Like I, I feel like I'm almost in a different body right now. How did you handle that mentally and just emotionally? Yeah. (laughs) I know I felt the same way. I was like, is anyone else experiencing this? Um, And it was really challenging. And there were a lot of factors at play. You know, at that time in my life, my parents were getting a divorce and my mom was very sick with um, alcoholism and I was taking care of her. My dad was kind of out of the picture and my dad had been in the picture kind of like as the rock of the family. And he was going through his own stuff and wasn't able to show up for my brother and I. Uh, And especially for me, because I was taking care of my mom and they were divorced or separated. Um, And just this huge fear of abandonment because my mom really wasn't able to be a parent. And then my dad at a very transforming time in your life, you know, it's a milestone when you graduate high school and go into college and, I didn't have any parent there to really help me with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on top of that, my I gained all this weight and uh, 
that was the one thing I was like used to having was, okay, my body is this way. And then that's a huge shift. And especially as a woman with all the pressure and I had never felt that pressure before because I was always like very athletic and I eat whatever I wanted and didn't worry about it. Yeah, you could kind of conform society's expectations without having to do a lot of work, it sounds like. Yeah, like thin privilege, you know, it's totally, I I acknowledge it within myself. Um, And obviously, too, like drinking and the habits part played a major role. Um, So probably about a year into college when I really started noticing that my body was had completely changed. I turned to um, food and exercise to control my weight. Mm-hmm. And it became obsessive. And actually a huge reason why I started studying nutrition in the first place was because I had this uh, preoccupation with food, calories, body image, my weight. Because everything else in my life was a shit show, you know? Totally. For did you go into lack of better words. Yeah. What did you go into college thinking that you wanted to study? I thought I wanted to study exercise science, which isn't too far off. Okay. Um, and that's because I grew up as an athlete. So I was like, that's what I knew, exercise right. uh, and being coached. But then I took, um, part of the curriculum was taking nutrition, like intro to nutrition. And I think most college freshmen have to take that actually. Uh, And that's when I kind of latched on and was like, oh, this is something I can control. This is something I can manipulate. Oh, yeah. So interesting because especially like you just mentioned, being at this hyper aware point in your life where you were using food in your body to control so many emotional needs and just feel some reprieve mentally. This reminds me about, of the Minnesota starvation study. Are you familiar with that study? Yeah. Yeah. I figured. Mm -hmm. And for anybody listening, it's, it's basically, um, a study around world war II where they took about 60 men, I think, and put them on a calorically restricted Mm -hmm. diet and um, monitored their behaviors and how it really affected them. And it really, it it wasn't even, it was like, if you actually look at it now, like the actual caloric intake was very, uh, very average by a lot of people's standards, but it actually drove them to all of these interesting behaviors around food. And a lot of them went on to um, develop eating disorders and also just these, yeah, careers around food and whether it was nutrition or cooking or whatnot. And so it basically perpetuated this obsession with food. And so, and I hear this a lot too, um, girls going into nutrition studies in college when they're struggling with an eating disorder, because it kind of just, it's all you think about all the time. And so it just makes sense to Absolutely. feel that fire. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, I saw many uh, colleagues who had uh, eating disorders throughout and they had to take like a leave of absence from studying because they were very sick. Did you ever experience a, an eating disorder that you got help for? 
Um, no, I never had. Uh, well, I guess nowadays they have more um, diagnostic criteria. So, and I'm not even sure if I would fit in that, but compensatory behavior with exercise was definitely my my thing. I I never I I tried purging once and I was like never again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that that you know, thank God, but uh definitely exercise and then just restricting binge cycle because I would restrict heavily and then we know that restricting leads to binging and then excessive exercise to work off the binge um it was a very I I look back at it now and then my heart just feels for that for that girl you know that wounded part of me Mm um which is why I'm so passionate about the work I do yeah because I know many women out there are struggling yeah. Were you doing synchronized swimming during this time too? No. Um, I actually was supposed to go to college for synchro. They actually had NCAA synchronized swimming. But because of my parents' divorce and everything happening with my mom, I chose to stay in Tallahassee and go to college there. Mm-hmm. Um so I was not doing synchronized swimming. They don't really have like college club synchronized swimming, unfortunately, but I did join uh, the Seminole Swim Club uh, and I started training for triathlons because my dad was super into them. Uh, so I was running all the time and doing this cross training. And from what you mentioned before, it sounds like synchronized swimming in high school was a big part of your happiness in life oh yeah no I identified so closely to it and I think a lot of athletes can relate to this mm-hmm. is when because I started when I was seven years old you know even before I was seven I would go to the pool with my dad and I would try like dancing in the water it's like I knew I wanted to be a synchronized swimmer when I was like three years old mm-hmm. <laughs> and um it was like a full-time job because we were practicing twice a day. We were going to national and worldwide competitions and, you know, Olympic trials and all this craziness. Um, but like with many athletes, once that career is over, you're like, oops, sorry. Um, where'd we go? You're like, okay, well, what do I do now? And, I think now they have better programs in place for that transitioning for athletes. But when I, not for like high school to college, I think it's more so for college athletes graduating and not having a career after that. Um, So I was completely lost about who I was, you know, what my place was in the world. Yeah. Uh, Well, especially for such an aesthetic um, sport too, which I think is such a common theme for so many yes. of us who struggle with food and body, you know, being in these sports where we are, there is judgment and comparison that's just so rampant yes. in those communities. But if you're moving your body all the time, you're kind of just getting by under the radar without ever really giving it any thought of like, oh, I have to do all of this work to maintain a certain size because it's just kind of a part of the job. And so to your point, yeah. that identity crisis of not having that to hold on to yeah. more and feeling 
like, yeah. well, how do I fill my time now? Like, what, where do I get that happiness from? Yeah. Like, who am I without totally. that, right? Yes, that's exactly what I felt like. I felt very lost and, you know, it's like I was finding myself all over again. Uh, yeah. Yeah. What were your interesting. I Girl, I can so relate. What were your relationships like when you were going through all of that? Were you opening up to anybody about this or because you were in mm. that major, was it more like surrounding yourself with other girls and who are in similar thought patterns? So I mentioned it to, I saw a psychiatrist. I think I mentioned it to my mom and dad when my mom was sober, which was very rare during that time. Uh, And somehow I was able to see a psychiatrist who prescribed me an antidepressant but I wasn't seeing a counselor. He just like gave me an antidepressant. I think it was Zoloft and I started taking it. And I remember the first day I took it and I felt so weird. And I was at TCC, I was in community college and I was like, it was causing me a lot of anxiety because of the feeling that it was giving me. It was very kind of odd. and then I started seeing a counselor, a therapist, and talking about it. But I wasn't ready to go that full in uh, and dive into those emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, I very much wanted to keep it to myself. And that's what I did um, mm-hmm. a lot during my early 20s. Mm-hmm. Which is why I started having panic attacks when I moved out here. <laughs> Yeah. So tell, tell, tell us a little bit about that. So you're in California now and did you move out here after you graduated college? Yeah. So I, I applied to get my master's degree because, and thank God when I was at FSU, cause I, I transferred from TCC to FSU and I uh, started working in their health promotion department. And the dietitian there was my saving grace because she was an intuitive eating counselor and worked with people with eating disorders. So even though I didn't have a full-on eating disorder, I struggled internally, you know, and I knew that. So having a mentor that was so body positive and nurturing, it was like a game changer. It really saved my life. Um, So that kind of started my journey to healing, but there was still a lot more work to do as far as the trauma that had occurred leading up to mm-hmm. the disordered eating, you know, mm-hmm. um, because the disordered eating was really just a symptom of the trauma that I had experienced as well as the culture. Yeah. Trauma. When can you define trauma in, in terms of what you can really identify with? Because you've said a few yeah. things, and I just want to make sure that I'm clear on what you're speaking to exactly. Yeah. And also, thank you for sharing that so vulnerably, because we don't talk about how how hand-in-hand that goes with disordered eating and body image and eating Huge. disorders. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, that was a big light bulb moment for me in, in my journey, too, just realizing, oh, my gosh, I actually have trauma issues that I need to work through. And this is part of the reason why this has happened. So I'm fascinated with this part of your story. Can you share a little more? Sure. Yeah. So there's, 
there's the big T trauma, right? Which is that, you know, have, knowing someone that dies or getting in a car accident or a plane crash or um, sexual abuse, like these well-known big T traumas. But then there's the little T traumas that happen over a long period of time and they're not talked about as much. In, and I'm not saying the other big T traumas are talked more about, but it's almost more, it's people understand it more. They're like, oh yes, that is so traumatic versus this. And I forgot the, the term for it. Um, I want to say ambiguous or something. It's okay. Inavert. Anyways, so the trauma that is kind of under the radar that isn't big T. It's like uh, having an alcoholic parent, for instance. And that might even be talked about more so. But then what about having a parent who is super controlling and they're still a good parent? You know, they feed you and it's not considered child abuse per se, but there is a sort of abuse happening in that they're not allowing you to develop your autonomy or um, is that making sense? Yeah. And I think that the, the biggest distinguishing factor, and I appreciate you explaining it that way, like big T trauma versus little T trauma is the little T traumas. I feel like we don't necessarily think that it's worthy of getting help for, for right. because yes, it just seems exactly. so much more prevalent and so much more common. Yeah. And it, it almost, even in conversations, if we feel comfortable sharing like, oh yeah, I went through that, how you experienced that little T trauma might be completely different than how someone else yep. experiences it. And that doesn't exactly. discredit you for asking for help for that at all. And so right. as it relates to body image and eating disordered and disordered eating and just our relationships with food, it is so important to be mindful of those little T's as well, because they almost always perpetuate. Yeah. yeah. So in your case, yeah. it was, it was having an alcoholic mom, would there be anything else that you would really attribute to the little teas that you're open to sharing? Yeah. Um, and just a quick little addition too is, so I go to therapy. I've been going to therapy for the past few years. My therapist was telling me it's that little T trauma that can actually be more damaging over time because people perceive it to not be important and they don't talk about it. Yeah. And then it just builds and builds and builds. Absolutely. Um, but another, and I didn't realize, I mean, the obvious one was having an alcoholic parent, right? But then there was also this piece of my dad and that abandonment that happened. And also uh, growing up, he had a very, uh, he had a bad temper. And so it was like you were constantly walking on eggshells because you didn't want him to lose it because you never know. It could be something totally unrelated and he did lose his temper. So we were in this my brother and I, it was almost this hypervigilance all the time because mom wasn't stable. And then dad also wasn't stable in a, in a sense of his temper. And he was also very like, 
controlling specifically. And I love my dad, dad, if you're listening to this, I, I do love you. Yeah. I always, <laughs> I always preface that this has nothing to do with judging the way that you're raised or parents. Parents are always, right. almost always doing the best that they can. And so yes. this, yes. this conversation, if parents ever come into the picture, it's never about calling parents out or making, right. putting blame on anybody. Totally. Yes. It's all about how we experience it, right? Totally. Yes. Because I know, like you said, they're doing the best they can given what they know. Uh, and he was very controlling with me, not so much my brother. There was that double standard and grew up very, very religious. So there were a lot of rules around me not being able to do certain things that a normal teenager female teenager would want to do, like go on dates or put on makeup or like, you know, God forbid, shave their legs. Uh, or it's, it's a normal part of growing up. And my dad, like, set these very strict rules with me where I felt, you know, is there something wrong with me? That's, that's what I internalized. I didn't know it then, but now looking back, it's like he wasn't allowing me to build autonomy and inner trust in myself that I could make decisions and they were going to be good decisions because he made those decisions for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is interesting. First of all, thank you. Thank you for being open and honest and sharing that. And that's, that is really um it's curious to explore that even more when you think about your relationship with food and the trust that you have with food and your body and, you know, being in this position suddenly where you are realizing that your choices have a, an impact on physical appearance and being judged by physical appearance. And especially if you grow up in a family where that's being commented on or just a group of friends or whatnot, um, yeah, yeah, that's, it is, um, it all ties in, it all, it all ties I, in, it all ties in. Yeah. So tell, tell me a little bit more about your, your process with getting into intuitive eating and having this mentor. I know you mentioned to open your eyes to, to what intuitive eating is. Um, and yeah. I'd love to hear a little bit more about, yeah, how you started to incorporate that into your life so um her name is heather fisher and amy magnuson uh they were god sent totally and that's when i started lifting some of the controlling super controlling behaviors with food like i stopped counting calories as much but I was still excessively exercising. So it's like I gave up some things, but I still held on to other things. Mm-hmm. And I continued to do so until I moved out here to California. And then um, I mentioned I'm a synchronized swimmer, and I still perform, actually. Not as much as when I first moved out here, but um, to pay the bills during grad school, I auditioned for this company called Aqua Lilies, and I got it. And you can imagine that the body image stuff just resurfaces because again that aesthetic sports and synchronized swimming is one of those sports where you do find a higher rate of eating disorder um because of the aesthetics so it's almost like the work that I had done at home kind of came back out here I was like triggered again and it wasn't to the same extent but it definitely I was preoccupied with it um 
And then I started working at San Diego State University. I was done with grad school. I became an RD, long story short. Um, and part of my job is to teach students about intuitive eating. And I knew in that moment that I needed to really check myself because I could not be teaching intuitive eating to students without being coming from a place of integrity myself. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, so before so, you move forward, can I pause yeah. you for a second? So yeah, yeah. This is incredibly rare getting a job opportunity to teach intuitive eating at a university or in any type of education setting because it's just so new to the nutrition space in general as well as just yeah. Yeah. you know it it's a science based it's an evidence based model for food and body but it still isn't recognized as one of those know, philosophies and yeah. nutrition um that is is just normalized so were you looking for yeah. an opportunity like that or did it kind of fall into your lap it fell into my lap yeah and that wasn't it that wasn't my only thing i was doing i was doing a much like a lot more other um job tasks but that was a big one and uh that is i did so not know that until i got the job wow Tyler, yeah, that's, it's like that's higher crazy. power was like i got you so serendipitous that's amazing and to yeah. your point yes like checking yourself because we can yeah. only take people as far as we've come ourselves. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So what was the process like when you realized that, that you needed to do a little bit more work? Well, I, I started doing the work. I, um, you know, I took the intuitive eating course with Evelyn Triboli. So my work paid for it. I know like it was honestly, when, yes. It, and I got to work with her one-on-one, -on -one, which was even more amazing. Um, and I used the intuitive eating workbook. So I obviously had read the book and I read it again. And then I also did their workbook alongside it. And that opened my eyes to things that I had not seen before, even back in Florida. Mm -hmm. And that, I, that's when things really shifted for me. And then becoming a certified intuitive eating counselor, I was like, all right, mm -hmm. this is it. And I started going to therapy, which helped me because really the controlling behaviors, like I said before, were symptoms of unresolved emotional wounds and trauma. So when I'm able to heal those wounds, that trauma and feel heard and seen, then those other behaviors start to you know, lose their appeal. Totally. Yeah. Wow. That is, that is so interesting. And how, how long ago was that, that you took your job as an intuitive eating? Um, are you a counselor with the school or what's your official title? My official title is health educator. Okay. Um, so I provide one-on-one -on -one nutrition counseling and part of that is certainly intuitive eating. Awesome. And you also have a side business that, well, it's yes. becoming your own, <laughs> yeah. your own private practice as we speak, which we'll get into. Yes. Um, but before we shift into talking about that a little bit more, I would love to hear just in this phase of your 
of your life in the past, like three years doing all of this deeper healing and really becoming mm -hmm. an intuitive eater and embodying that and being able to teach that, what are some things that you noticed in terms of your day-to-day -day life? Like how has that shifted things, your relationships, your happiness, what's, what's filling your cup up now? Um, in, yeah. in terms of that, you joy know, component? totally. And it's funny because <laughs> this didn't really start happening fully until a year ago. Cause two, like two years ago, yes, I was doing the work, but then I started turning to relationships. It was like, it wasn't the food and exercise. It then became a codependent relationship um, with my romantic partners. Mm -hmm. And up until last year, I was like, I'm going, I'm going to be single. I'm not dating. I'm just going to focus on me. And that's when I finally started experiencing, I think some of those more positive uh, effects of healing and going to therapy because it's not an easy road it definitely isn't but it's so worth it because I feel I haven't how I feel right now I haven't felt this way I don't think in my entire life because I always was living from a place of like hyper vigilance and like fear mm -hmm. um and I finally feel like all these layers have been shed it was like when one layer was shed it was like there was another one that had to go and another and another until I'm finally like, here I am, this is me, this is the authentic me, I am loved, I love myself, I love you, I love everyone. Um, it's so empowering, I'm just, I feel extremely blessed and grateful. Yeah, and that just ripples out into everyone's life that you are touching right now, and just the people that you're, yeah that you're able to show up for and um yeah it you know i think one of the most interesting pieces about our food body journeys and especially when we get serious about healing our relationship with food is we always think it starts with food and we like when we're coming from that place of control yeah. and disordered thinking maybe without even realizing that it is disordered we think it's just about the food and we just got to get like this food thing under control. Mm -hmm. And then when you start doing the work, you realize, Oh, it's actually nothing to do with the food. It's a, it's a piece yeah. of it, but All right. it, it does coincide with so many other elements in your life. And one thing that I would love to talk to you about, especially because you're yeah. on both sides about this is one of the questions that I get asked a lot, um, from clients in my community is the difference between seeing a therapist versus an intuitive eating counselor or coach and mm. how to actually yeah. know what's going to work better for you. What are your thoughts on that? I'd love to jam on this with a, uh, for a little bit. Yes, let's, let's jam on it. Uh, so I really recommend seeing both, you know, because therapists, they are trained in certain modalities and we all, certain modalities work better for others, like cognitive behavioral therapy. A lot of times talk therapy, especially if you're first beginning, any sort of therapy is talking because that's easier for us to handle versus going straight into somatic therapy, which is that body, emotional body work, which can be re-traumatizing for people if they don't have their themselves together. Uh, so it's really like this dance between finding a therapist that works for you, but also an intuitive eating counselor is going to have that 
um, experience and professional within the eating realm, right? Because therapists, they can talk about self-compassion and these general topics, right? But they're not going to equate it. It's going to be more challenging for them to use it with food and body image compared to an intuitive eating counselor who is like, that's their jam. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I I couldn't agree with you more. And I think that personally, my, um, my clients who have the best results are also seeing a therapist and mine too. Yeah. It's, Mm -hmm. it really is. I mean, when you commit to doing this work and having this transformation and investing in your health in this way, first of all, it is, it is life-changing and when you're ready to go all in, yeah, yeah, right. It is life-changing. And when you're ready to go all in, might as well just go all in with, yeah. You know, you said one thing that I wrote down and I want to circle back to. It's somebody who works for you. So a therapist who works for you, a coach, a counselor who works for you, that is key with this whole process yes. too. And I don't, I would love to hear your thoughts on this because I think that one of the most unfortunate downfalls with that part of the puzzle is people just aren't willing to date different coaches and different therapists until they find the right one. Yes. And if you don't have that right person, if you aren't connected to the person who is putting you on this path, who you feel like is going to be able to really help you transform in this way, Mm. you're wasting your time. And so it is worth interviewing and dating around like, get on the phone with different therapists, get on the phone with different coaches and counselors and find the one that's going to work for you. What are your thoughts? Yeah. And I, I just want to add to that too, because this is what I was told before I was looking for therapists from a friend of mine, who's a licensed clinical social worker. And she was like, Tyler, the very first meeting, don't expect like there to be sparks flying or you're going to have a a gut feeling that that's the one you have. Sometimes it does take a little bit more time to nurture, like with any relationship. And I think some people can get discouraged if they, and I'm, I'm talking more particularly with therapists, perhaps. Um, I'm sure this could apply to intuitive eating counselors, but being open to knowing that you can foster a healthy relationship. Mm-hmm. So if you don't feel like sparks I say sparks, but obviously listen to your intuition. And if it really doesn't jive with you, then don't do it. But at the same time, understanding that even if you do jive with someone and then you start the process and you start to feel like, oh, maybe this isn't working, just try to be patient and like trust. Yeah. I, I love that. And I, I think that that is such a good point that you made. Like you have to listen to your intuition when you actually decide to go with a person, but Mm -hmm. also recognize that the therapist, the counselor, they're feeling the same way in the first session. I always just call it out in a session with a client. I always feel like, okay, so this is our first date and we're getting to know <laughs> each other, you know? And I love that. I love it, that. It's just being honest because it's it's probably going to totally. take two to three sessions to really start to feel comfortable and yeah. like you can open up with that yeah. person, especially if you are coming from a place where this might be your first time doing this type of work. This might be, there might be a lot of things that you're just not ready to share and that's okay. And that's also our job as counselors and therapists to hold that space for you. So, um, 
Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I love that that we're talking about this. I also want to talk about what you're doing as well with your own business and what you're excited about, what this looks like, how this is different from your, your work um, at the college. And yeah. Yeah, um, I am so excited about what I've got going on right now. Uh, so I recently started a community. It's called Food, Body, and Soul. I love that name, by the uh, way, so much. Thank you. I know when I came up with it, it was like, when you just know, you know, you're like, that's it. Mm. And naming is so um, hard. <laughs> so yeah, good for you. Because you want to you wanna really, like, feel good about it, you know? Yeah, totally. Um, I kind of understand how people feel now when they're naming, like, what they want to name their child. I know. <laughs> I completely I agree. Yeah. All right, so tell us about it. So Food, Body, Soul, what does it look like? Yeah, so Food, Body, and Soul, you know, I really – my client is going to be someone who is a woman – who's already tapped into self-development work. Mm. Um, I'm going to say woke women. Mm. And what I mean by that is they're already versed in like diet culture and certain social injustices, and they have a spiritual practice. Maybe they already kind of have delved into meditation, but they're still new and they're still kind of like testing the waters. And so when they work with me, I really help. I incorporate intuitive eating principles and counseling. And then I also incorporate um, more of that energy work and spiritual healing. And that hence the soul part, because that's that inner child work. That's that, you know, working through those layers that we have to get to um, and keep peeling them off until we can really reveal like, okay, this is your authentic, real self. So you can start living a vibrant, fulfilling life that, you know, you came here to live. I love that. Because your soul did not come here to live a life obsessing about food and body image. That's for sure. I so appreciate that, that type of work. And I think it's so needed. And um, it also is, this is why I love working with other intuitive eating counselors, because we all have a different we all have a different person that we're going to resonate with and yeah. work with. And this is such a perfect example of what we were just talking about before too. Um, right. You know, it's finding that person who's going to work with you because someone is listening and thinking, yes, that's me, you know? Yeah. Yes. And I love that you incorporate the, um, the soul piece to this and really just doing that inner child work because mm. it is, it is so important. Um, how do you, how do you feel like you began practicing that for yourself? What was your first recognition into that world, if you will? Yeah, and a big reason why I use it in my work is because of the impact it had on me when I started healing my inner child, and it was very profound. Um, and it really, it was after bad breakup with a partner a few years back and I'm thankful for that relationship because it woke me up to oh I have unresolved trauma and actually it is trauma if you grew up with an alcoholic parent and you know 
I didn't know it then, but now working through it with my therapist, there's all these different dynamics at play. And it's not until we become aware of them. It's that awareness, that light bulb goes off. It's like, wait a minute, how I'm feeling is valid. And the way I'm reacting in situations is valid because of this. And then starting to nurture that part of you that you were unconscious of and now have become conscious of. So you can heal it, you can soothe it, and you can start reparenting yourself so you can trust yourself again um, and others. Yeah, which is huge because we've talked about trust so much in this conversation, and I don't think it's by accident either because that's, I would love to hear how you feel about this. For me, that was one missing link in my food and body journey and just healing my relationship with with myself in a big way. I didn't realize that I didn't have that trust piece. Like I had no idea at all. Mm-hmm. And it was a big light bulb moment when I realized, oh, that is what I'm missing. The trust, the trust around food, the trust yeah. around my body. Like how do I actually develop that? Yeah. Because when you can develop that yeah. self-trust, that allows you to show up in your relationships differently. That allows you to yeah. really go and do the things that you love doing. That allows you to have a completely different relationship with food and your body and just your career and all of these things that make up your life. So wh- yeah. how, do you, how do you feel about that? Do you also oh, feel yeah. like trust was a big piece for you too? Oh, 100% every day you know it's like preach yes (laughs) yeah it's like every day it's like I'm not perfect I still have my work and I I think that's another good point to make is that it's not I always tell my clients this you know intuitive eating is not a means to an end it's a continuous journey back to your true self and we are always evolving so that landscape that inner landscape is always going to be changing so it's finding that flow and um, leaning into times of growth and discomfort and what perfect timing considering what's happening now uh, that is where it's at so hopefully that answers yeah well I love that you just mentioned journey because that's something I mean, that's just a part of the intuitive eating process and just understanding that this is a journey, this relationship that you have with food and your yeah. body and yourself. It is a journey. There's not a finish line. There isn't this box that you yeah. are committed to, which is not a popular opinion. You know, if you think about it isn't most, in our culture, especially in diet culture. Yeah. Or just like healthy eating culture, quote unquote, or wellness culture, where there are so many things kind of going under the radar that have really rigid rules and just all of these different boxes Mm -hmm. that we're putting things into. And I would love to hear your thoughts on how you navigate that with a new client and helping them feel comfortable in stepping into that and knowing that, Hey, like, when do I actually know I'm done? And how do I actually, if I'm used to checking my Fitbit, if I'm used to like, you know, plugging things into my fitness pal, or even just like, Right. Finding some other way to to control or create a finish line for myself, whether it's a day, a month, a you know, a year, whatnot. How do you yeah. how do you make them feel comfortable? Um, well I tell them during our first call, you know, this is what to expect. 
mm-hmm. um, and to be, they have to be willing to release control. They have to be willing to do the hard work. And when I say hard work, I mean that emotional work that we have been avoiding mm. for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and also reassuring them that by working with one another, this is that safe container for you to do just that. Because I was once in your shoes, girl. Like I, it's almost like you know exactly what their problems are before they know it. Because you've already worked through them yourself. Yeah. And so you're waking them up to that. And the willingness though is so key. Like if someone is not in a good space where they are going to have the safety that they need to go through this stuff, then I would not recommend it. But if you feel like I, my client is someone who's like, I'm over it. I'm done. I'm never going back to dieting. I'm like ready to do the work. Uh, Because if there is teetering, then I'm going to wonder like, maybe they still need to hold on a little bit because that's what, their soul needs or like that growth and learning still taking place. So eventually they get to a spot where um, the tipping point and it's different for everyone, you know, it is different for everyone. And this is why I love you. And I love that we can have this conversation because my client is that client. Like my client is the girl who is holding on to some things and she's not at a place where she even recognizes like I'm done with diet culture. When I start working with somebody, it's like, hang on to this girl. Like it, you know, let's move into this really gently, really easily, you know, let's just explore how we can just like bring these new principles into your life while we release this at a time that feels good. But that's just such a, such a testament, like for anybody who's listening, that wherever you are on your path and you know you need support, there is a person for you. There is a person who's going to support you exactly where you are right now. And so I just want to pause and say, if anybody's listening and they feel like, I know I need support, just reach out to either Tyler or I, and it could be neither of us. And we can still plug you into our, our community and our our colleagues yeah. who are able to help you because there is a person for everybody. Totally. And that's the most important piece, just finding that, that right person for you. So yeah, I really appreciate you saying that. Thank you. Yes, of course. So um, I want to do a, a quick fire round before we wrap up just to lighten the, the okay. tone of the conversation because I feel like. It's I know, like, right? Woo, <gasps> that got deep. <laughs> No, it's girl. Been... That is totally my soul, though. I'm like, I don't mind speaking about this stuff. I, I actually love it. So I love it too. It. I, well, I just, I'm really, I'm really grateful that you're open to having such a vulnerable conversation around yeah. all of this, and that we can just be very yeah. honest about topics like this because we need to. We we absolutely need to. We also need to yeah. laugh a little bit and like lighten the middle. Yes, a little bit. let's so do it. Let's, let's do, do it. it. Okay, cool. Because that's a big, big piece of how you and I work together too. I know that yes. about you. So yes. this is our Definitely. girl. <laughs> this is our girl talk section. Um, okay. All right. You ready? <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready. All right. Let's do it. So just tell, tell us a little bit about your morning routine. What do you do? Oh, okay. I, I love my morning routine. So I wake up, I take, um, I use this like lavender 
shower, I make my coffee, and then I meditate for like half an hour and I journal. It takes like a total, it's like an hour in total of doing meditation, breath work, um, and journaling. Mm. And if I didn't do that in my, in the morning, I would not be sane during the day. So mm-hmm. highly recommend a morning practice for, for anyone. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I totally agree. I think also I just did, did a, a talk on this earlier today, but it just, creating that con- routine and that consistency is so yeah. good for anxiety for just Crucial. relieving anxiety and just building your circadian yeah. rhythm up and just um yeah so so good um yeah you were going to switch careers right now with guaranteed joy and success what would you do what's your dream job probably like a life coach or it would be in the coaching world still but maybe just more like open and broad or maybe like a preacher. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, like, I love that. <laughs> yeah, like I seriously thought about like being a preacher. Um, but anyways. That's so interesting. I love that. I, <laughs> yeah. I also feel like you have elements of that in the work that you do now. And so it's, it's not surprising yeah. to hear you say either of those things. Um, how do you define self-care? I find self-care as tending to your emotional needs in a way that works for you. Mm. Yeah, because so uh, there's so much information out there and people like people will say, oh, well, journaling is good for anxiety. But for some, maybe it's not Mm -hmm. walking in nature. So it's really um, doing what works for you. Absolutely. Definitely. What's one wellness trend that you wish would disappear? Oh, girl. Um, just one. <laughs> you can do a few if you'd like. Okay. Um, if it fits your macros. Mm. Uh, keto, you know, bad diets in general. I wish that they would just go away. And honestly, the sneaky wellness culture, that's probably even worse. Mm-hmm. But I I digress. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, a whole other podcast interview around that. Right yeah. There. This is one of my favorite questions. Do you have a signature uh, dinner party dish? So if somebody calls you on the phone and is like, get over here, what are you going to bring? Oh, girl. Um, I, I will probably just bring chips and salsa, to be totally honest. Hey. Do you have a favorite brand of chips? Brand of chips? Oh, I love chips so much. Um, I, I I love uh, Cape Cod salt and vinegar. Me too. Like, I just really yes, that's my absolute favorite. That's so funny. Another thing, yeah, I love salt and vinegar. Um, but then I also just love tortilla chips because I love dip. Like chips and dip are my dip. So okay, here's yeah. a caveat to that question: Would you just bring the okay. jar in the bag, or would you plate it and make a presentation, like truth? I would bring the jar in the bag. <laughs> I love that. Yes, I, would. I actually probably would too, um, <laughs> for sure. Okay, what's one book or resource that changed your relationship with either food or your body? 
Oh, oh my goodness. Um, well, obviously intuitive eating, right? Evelyn Tribbley and Elise Thresh, but I'm sure many people answer that. So the other one would be um, The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. That's a very good read. Um, awesome. Yeah. It's actually been on my list, The Four Agreements, for a while. I haven't read it, so. It's a good one. One day, I have a lot on my list. Yeah. <laughs> I have it's a lot on my list. I, I have a lot on my list. I right here. It's like not oh, nice. a very big book at all. Yeah. It's just super simple. Just another thing on the list, you know? I, yes, girl, I know it. A motto for life, like just another to do. Yeah. Um, but I love that you said that. Okay, what's the last TV series that you watched or one that you would recommend just to help us avoid the dreaded Friday night scrolling on the couch? Yeah, so I just got done watching Hillary. It's that docu-series oh. about Hillary Clinton. What? It's on Hulu. Oh my God. Yes. And, writing it down. And it, I never knew all these things and how badass she actually is. I'm like, hell yeah, girl. Um, awesome. So, yeah. Cool. Hillary. I just think it's called Hillary. Yeah. Thank you. Um, well, this has been so fun and I just adore you. And I really, again, I, I know I've mentioned this a few times, but just thank you so much for being so honest and vulnerable and open yeah. to share and um, your truth. I, I know that so many women are going to really connect to your message. Yeah. I appreciate you being here. Where can everybody find you and say hi to you? And if there's anything that you have going on that you'd like to shout out. Yeah. So Instagram, I'm on, that's probably the, the channel I use the most. What is Instagram? Uh, my handle is, <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Can you imagine if someone literally <laughs> didn't know what it was? <laughs> what is that? Um, sometimes I wish I was like that. Uh, but it's at Tyler, T-Y-L-E-R, dot rolling, like the Rolling Stones, R-O-L-L-I-N-G, dot R-D. And then I also have a Facebook community called the Food, Body, and Soul Academy, which you can apply for because it is a private community. I really try to make it a safe space specifically for women who are on this food, body, and soul journey. Yeah. Uh, so I do look at the questions that people answer. Um, and that is in the link in my bio on my Instagram. And also really excited and you're going to be a part of this as well, is in May, I'm hosting a free seven-day virtual retreat, which, you know, I'm so glad I decided to do it virtually, mm -hmm. given some of the recent right. events, who knows, um, in May, but all completely free, seven days, uh, we're talking about intuitive eating, gentle nutrition, awakening your feminine energy so that intuition and flow and doing kundalini yoga breath work energy healing we have reiki practitioners oh it's gonna be i'm so excited cool. i'm so excited to be a yeah. part of it too just really really Me too. loving all of the work that you're doing in the world right now and i appreciate you thank you so much tyler likewise girl all right yeah. talk to you soon bye love.
thank you to our producer, Matt Iski, our show manager, Shayla Anderson. If you want to stay connected to the Modern Girl community and learn more about our show guests, click the show notes of this episode. And if this conversation resonated with you, throw a five-star rating and review our way so that we can keep spreading the Modern Girl message with more women. And one last thing, don't forget to hit subscribe so that you can save time and stay on top of the new episode each week. I'm sending you so much love, wisdom, and strength. Talk to you soon.